0: Well, take your Bibles this morning, if you will, and turn to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. Let me give you a little bit of a background to this passage. I, we're going to eventually end up reading a decent portion of it. I don't want to do that to start, um, and maybe you can put a bookmark in there or something. We're going to come back to the passage a few times, um, but we'll turn to a couple other places as well. We do that often. I, I think a message that is not saturated in the Word of God is, is based... You know, often on opinion or whatever else. I think I think every message ought to be saturated in the Word of God, and so that's what we try to do with each each of the messages that I preach, anyway. And uh, if somebody preached a message on a passage and that was it, then I'm certainly not going to I'm not opposed to that by any stretch. But uh, I think the Bible the Bible speaks for itself, and the Bible backs itself up over and over and over and over again. So why not use the rest of the Bible? To help make the points that, uh, that, that I have in the message, but Acts chapter 26 uh, is nearing the end of Paul's life. I think he knew that, but Paul here finds himself in front of Agrippa and uh, obviously Festus, and, and uh, king, uh, Agrippa was the king, the Roman governor was Festus, and Paul finds himself in front of these men, basically being tried for spreading the message of the gospel. He'd been told many times not to do that. Uh, along with the other apostles, Peter and John and James and all the others that ended up, you know, almost every one of them ended up getting killed in a way that was not a natural death. I think John was about the only one who had a natural death. Um, But Paul was one of those who uh, was not going to give in to the peer pressure. He was not going to give in to the government that was telling him to stop. And it's a good thing that he didn't because many churches were started as a result of that. Many people were saved as a result of that. But Paul is given the opportunity here to give a defense for his actions. And he's using this setting, as we all should do, as an opportunity to share his salvation testimony. Anytime you're given an opportunity to speak to one person or to 100 people or to 100,000 people, you ought to use that as an opportunity to share the message of the gospel. You may not get that opportunity again, and that might be the only time that those people get to hear the message of the gospel. But that's what Paul does. And when Paul, when these pagan rulers hear what Paul says, has to testify about all that happened to him and what, the, uh, what, what has happened to him and, and, and how the Savior that he claims to serve has called him and what he's called him to do, Festus speaks up and he calls Paul a madman. He's, we, we pick that up in verse number 24. Acts chapter 26 and verse 24. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. He said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. He tells Paul that all of his education, all of his learning has driven him over the edge. He says, Paul, you've lost your mind. You're a lunatic. You're crazy. You might have said it like this if you came across the same list that I did. You're one, one taco short of a fiesta platter. You're a few, a few screws short of a hardware store. About a few cards short of a deck. Couple fries short of a happy meal," he said. uh, "You're one sandwich short of a picnic. You're a few bricks short of a full load. You're a few clowns short of a circus. Paul, the wheel's spinning, but the hamster's dead. You got a screw loose. You're as nutty as a fruitcake. My dad used to say that all the time. You're as nutty as a fruitcake. There are bats in your belfry. Paul, there's a rip in your marble bag. You're knitting with only one needle. I thought this was pretty pretty good. You get the idea. He says, Paul, you're crazy. Something's wrong with you. All this learning and all this education and all that stuff, you're, 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 you're mad. That word mad comes from the word that gives us our English word for mania. And uh, obviously, you know, it means to rave, to be mad, to be out of your mind. Mania is defined as obsession, an excessive and intense interest in or enthusiasm for something a psychiatric disorder characterized by excessive physical activity, rapidly changing ideas, and impulsive behavior. And that's what, you know, here Paul is standing up in front of these guys and giving his testimony, and he says, Paul, you're crazy. You're a maniac. Something is wrong with you. When these pagans hear what Paul was before he met Jesus Christ, what happened to him when he met Jesus Christ and what he is saying about Christ and doing for God's glory. Now they, they, they conclude the fact that he's, that he's just gone raving mad. And Paul, here in Acts chapter 26, really gives his entire testimony. Uh, and, and when the world, honestly, when the world looks in on things that we call Christianity, when they look at the life, uh, 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 at this life that we live for Jesus, a lot of them will look at us and say, you're crazy. Something's wrong with you. Why would you give your life for that? Why would you serve Jesus Christ with your life? Look at all the fun you can have outside of that life. And I would say to them, I'm not crazy, I'm saved. By the way, the world thinks that your testimony is crazy in these areas as well. They they thought Paul was crazy as he got up there and just testified about what Jesus Christ had done for him, and even Festus said, I don't know what's wrong with you, Paul, but you're crazy. Something's wrong. And Paul said, I'm not crazy. I'm saved. And when you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, it might sound crazy to an outside world, but to, to us as Christianity, I just want you to see that what the world thinks is crazy is nothing more than mere Christianity, so I want to I talk to you about this thought this morning. I'm not crazy, I'm saved. Let me show you the reasons why Festus and the others thought that Paul, the ones who heard him preach that day, thought that he was crazy. But let's pray, and we'll look into this passage this morning. Father, again, we thank you for an opportunity to be here. Thank you for saving me all those years ago. I thank you for allowing me the opportunity to hear the message of the gospel and for allowing me to respond to it. And God, I'm so thankful it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with you and what you've done for me on the cross. And God, I pray that you'd help us to get excited again about the salvation that you've given us. I pray that you'd help us to get excited again about the fact that to an outside world, we might look crazy, but we're doing the best that we can to live for you. And I pray that you'd help each one of us to have that desire. And God, for those who are not saved in here this morning, maybe they're still on the outside looking in. Maybe they've been in church for 20 years, still don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, I pray that today would be the day that they come to know you as their own personal Savior. And God, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts this morning, and we'll thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. I want this message to be an encouragement to you this morning. I hope it will be, especially for those who are saved. If you're not saved, then, then this message is for you as well. Uh, but, but Paul stood before Festus And to them, number one, his teachings sounded crazy. Let's go back to verse number 13 there in Acts chapter 26. This is what he said as part of his testimony. At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven, above the brightness of the sun shining round about me, and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, who art thou, Lord? By the way, I always thought you're asking him. It's like, it's like saying, what's your name, Brian? Right? That's what it always sounded like to me. But that term, Lord, that he's using there is not, hey, I know your name. It's, it's a term of reverence. Who are you, sir? I don't know. What are you, what are you trying to tell me? That's, that's what he's saying. Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest, but rise and stand upon thy feet. For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me." Whereupon, O king Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem, throughout all the coasts of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, and do works meet for repentance. For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple, and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come." What were these claims that Paul made? If you, if you kind of think about it from an outside perspective and, and, and hear what these guys were hearing for the first time, he said that he saw a light. Paul said that at noon, this, this light that was brighter than the sun shone round about him and, and it was so bright, basically, it knocked him off of his horse, uh, his donkey that he was riding there on the way to, Mas- to Damascus. He said he met the Lord Jesus Christ. The one that Paul met on the road to Damascus was the same man that everyone had known And many of them had seen die on a cross not too long before that. They saw him die. They saw his body being dragged off the cross. They saw him put in a grave. And they had heard rumors that he rose again. But remember, they spread it all around that his disciples came and stole his body. Only the disciples and only those who knew that he said that he was going to rise again believed that Jesus did rise again from the dead. Everybody else believed the story that his body had been stolen and that it was hidden somewhere else. They had seen this very same Jesus that Paul is saying he saw on the road to Damascus laid in a grave, lifeless. And now here's this crazy preacher preaching that this dead Jesus is alive again and well. By the way, that's what galled this crowd the most. They knew that Jesus had been crucified. Now here was Paul and a bunch of these others preaching that Jesus was alive. They were upsetting the apple cart. They were disturbing the peace. They were preaching the doctrine of the resurrection, and people thought they had lost their minds. No wonder they thought Paul had lost his marbles. But Paul's statements may have sounded bizarre to the pagan Romans, but to anyone who has come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, they make perfect sense. Here's why. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. person saved person has seen the light. And I'm not saying that some bright light shone to you in the middle of the day and knocked you down to the ground and oh, this was your experience and all of a sudden, right? I've heard of a lot of people that have talked about an experience that they have and well, that must have been my salvation experience because I'd never seen or anything like that before. I've never seen anything like that again and I had this crazy vision and the next thing you know, I, I was saved. Oh, Paul's, Paul's situation here, he met Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ spoke to him in person. Now, Jesus doesn't do that today. Well, at least, at least uh, according to the Word of God, a lot of those things are, are past, but he did that for Saul, who became the Apostle Paul. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6, it says this: For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That light has shined in our hearts. We were in darkness. We were dead in sins. That light shines in our heart and, and, and illuminates the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us and gives us an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. You can turn over there if you want to, but you don't need to. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what he's talking about in in Acts chapter 26, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan and to the power of God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me, in Jesus Christ. But it's that darkness, those who are living in darkness don't understand what those who are living in the light see from that perspective. There's a whole lot of things that you can see in the light that you can't see in the darkness. Everyone who's saved can remember what it was like to be dead in trespasses and sins, as he said in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. They can remember what it was like to be one of the children of wrath. He says that later on in that passage. They can remember the way the Holy Spirit drew them to Jesus, we find in John chapter 6 and verse 44. I still remember, even as a young child when I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior, that conviction of sin And the the fact that when the light came on and, and I saw for the first time that Jesus and Jesus Christ alone was my only hope, and I'm sure if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you remember that day very well, the day you found hope in Jesus Christ. They remember the day life came when they ran to Jesus for salvation. If you remember those things, you're not crazy, you're saved. Every saved person has met the risen Lord that Paul preached. Turn over to Romans chapter 10, if you will. Every person who has ever been saved has been saved in the same way. They've all been saved through a personal faith encounter with Jesus Christ. You are met with that decision that you had to make. Am I going to accept Jesus Christ and his death on the cross as the payment for my sins? Or am I going to reject Jesus Christ and his death on the cross as the payment for my sins? There's so many people that are trying to work their way to heaven, trying to earn their way to heaven, try to be good enough to get into heaven. You don't have to do that. You should try to be a good person. You ought to work for Jesus Christ. You ought to do those other things. But you don't have to do that. Jesus Christ has done that for you, right? What was our verse that we just, that half of you quoted this morning? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. Hey, you you walk around in the stores now, and there's all Christmas stuff everywhere, right? I went into Sam's yesterday to get candy for the Harvest Festival tomorrow night, and all of the regular candy was gone. So I, I apologize in advance, but all the candy that's going to be sitting out here is Christmas candy tomorrow. It's all green and red and colored with Christmas trees and everything else. There wasn't anything else. All, all the aisles where they had all the, the uh, Halloween candy and all of that stuff, you know, last week is now covered with nothing but Christmas, right? We're coming up on Christmas, and that's the time of, of giving gifts, and I've, I've decided to do something different this year with my kids. I, I have several different sizes of gifts, and the more they pay me, the bigger gift they can get. <laughs> right? That's not the way it works, is it? Because it's not a gift if they have to pay me for it. That's exactly what it is with Jesus Christ and the gift that he is offering us for salvation. You can't do anything to earn it, or then it's not a gift. You can't do more to get more salvation. You can't do less to have less salvation. You either have Jesus Christ and he has you or you have nothing. And I don't have to do anything. I cannot. As hard as I want to try, as as much as I would like to, I cannot do anything for that salvation. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But there in Romans chapter 10 and verse number 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus it shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. See, when the Spirit of God shows us our sin and points us to Jesus Christ for salvation, and when we look to him by faith and believe that he can wash our sins away, at that moment we meet the Lord. If you believe the gospel and trust Jesus Christ for salvation, then you are saved And many people run around doubting whether or not they've accepted Jesus Christ as their savior. If you've done that, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as the payment for your sins and you've repented of those sins and turned to Jesus Christ as the only option for you to have those sins forgiven, then you're saved. It doesn't matter what the devil tells you. It doesn't matter what your flesh is going to try to tell you about, well, you're not good enough to earn salvation. You're not good enough to really be saved. All of those things are things that the devil is going to throw out there for, to, to try to make you doubt the word of Jesus Christ. If you've never done that, then friend, I have to be honest with you, you're not saved. And you're not on your way to heaven this morning. If you go around talking about the time when you met Jesus Christ, I've got to say, you're not crazy, you're saved. When the world hears the testimony of the redeemed Saints of God, they think that we've gone crazy. We talk about things that cannot be seen. We talk about things that cannot be touched or handled. And we find in Hebrews chapter 11, the the great chapter on faith, verse number one, he says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, right? We can't see any of the things that we, I wasn't there when Jesus was crucified. I don't know that that event took place but I believe it by faith. I don't know that there's a heaven. I've never been there, but I believe it by faith. I don't know that Jesus Christ is in heaven preparing a mansion for me, but I believe it by faith. I don't know how his blood washes my sins away, but I believe it by faith. And faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. And one of these days, all of those things are going to come to fruition for those who believe Jesus Christ. And it is a belief. I don't know for a fact that it's so, but I've seen enough evidence of Jesus Christ working in my life, I've seen enough evidence of him working in the lives of other people to know that my faith one day is going to become sight and it's all going to happen, it's all going to come to fruition in Jesus Christ and in who he is and what he's done for me. We talk about a baby born of a virgin, a savior who was crucified and buried and rose again to somebody in the outside world, that might sound crazy. We talk about his blood and how it washed our sins away. We believe in a God who created out of nothing the entire universe. We believe that Jesus is coming in the clouds to raise the dead and call them home to heaven. We believe that when he comes, he's going to call the the living saints into the air, and he's going to change them into his image, and we're going to be with him forever. We believe some things that sound crazy to a lost world, but to those who who have been lost in the depths of sin and have made that trip to Calvary by faith and have met the risen Savior, it all makes perfect sense. And when we speak of such things, we do so not because we're crazy, but because we're saved. Those things are all found in the Bible, and we simply believe the Bible and we take God at his word. It may sound crazy to the lost, but we have no doubt that it's all true. It does not make us crazy. It simply proves that we're saved. Festus and the others that Paul preached to thought he was crazy because his teachings sounded crazy, but also, number two, his testimony sounded crazy. Back to Acts chapter 26. Look at verse number four. Think about the things that Paul was before he was saved. He says this in verse number four. My manner of life from my youth, which was at first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews. Paul was a very popular man. He was very well-known amongst the the elite of his day, if you will. And he says, everybody knows my background, verse number five, which knew me from the beginning. If they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. He was a very religious man. He says in verse number six, and now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise our 12 tribes instantly serving God day and night hope to come. By the way, that's that's a a great insight into the salvation in the Old Testament. They were not saved because they made sacrifices. They were not saved because they killed lambs and goats and sheep and oxen and all of those other things. They were saved because they were looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ, the same way that we look back on the fact that Jesus Christ already came, right? And that's what he says. Now I stand and I'm judged for the hope. Verse 7, unto which promise are 12 tribes instantly serving God hope to come. For which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I'm accused of the Jews. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? Paul's saying it's, it's, not, it's not crazy to say that God has the power to raise somebody from the dead. Verse 9, i verily really thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which things I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints that I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, he was a very zealous man. In fact, go back to Acts chapter 7. You remember the story of Stephen. Stephen was the first martyr, the first one that we know of that was killed for his faith, his belief, his preaching about Jesus Christ. And there in Acts chapter 7, Stephen did the exact same thing that Paul was now doing. And he got up and he gave his testimony before these. And he said, if you could only see what the life is, is like in Jesus Christ, if you could only see how he's changed my life, you would understand why I preach and believe the things that I do. But in Acts chapter 7 and verse 58, and they cast him out of the city, talking about Stephen, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothing at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. By the way, persecution is a good thing. None of us wants to go through persecution. But that's what makes the church grow. Because you know what happens? When you get persecuted for what you believe, you either really believe it or you really don't. And it's going to separate those who really don't believe it from those who really do. Because if you know that you could die for what you say you believe, then you're going to really believe it or you're going to turn your back on it completely. That's exactly what happened here. Boy, if it had not been for the persecution, the gospel probably would not have been spread. They were happy. They were content there in Jerusalem. They had a large church there in Jerusalem. And they were excited about what God was doing. But they came into that church and they started killing people and everybody had to spread out. But you know what they did when they spread out? They took the gospel with them everywhere that they went. And we see this in verse number two. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Don't take the time to turn over there, but in 1 Timothy chapter one and verse 12, this is Paul talking again. He says, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me, for he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer, And a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. He was a man of considerable wealth and position and power and influence. We find that in verse number 12. He says, whereupon, in Acts chapter 26, whereupon as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests. Yet, when Paul met the risen Lord, he simply walked away from the old life and began to serve the Lord again. We see that in verse number 19. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I went to Damascus. I showed the Christians there that I had been saved, essentially is what he said. He was feared by the church. He was respected by his peers. Yet after he met Jesus Christ, he abandoned everything that defined his old life. Nothing you can do is too bad for God to forgive. Oh, think about the Apostle Paul and what he did. How can you get any worse than killing Christians? who believe on the name of Jesus Christ. How can you get any worse than stoning the ones who are preaching the message of the gospel and condoning all of those things and going to the chief priests and getting authority and decrees that you can go and put them in prison and kill them and have that authority from the government to be able to do those things? How can you get any worse than that? And yet here's the Apostle Paul. It seemed absolutely crazy to those who saw and heard about the changes in Paul's life. But every saved person has abandoned the old life. When the lost sinner comes to Jesus Christ by faith, everything in that person's life changes, or at least it should. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2, Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 17 says, therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold all things are become new. That old life, that old desire, that old flesh, it's all passed away and all things are become new when you come to know Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter two and verse 10 says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. See that the saint of God, the, the Christian still has that old nature. We still, we still crave sin. And, and, and while a Christian is still capable of committing any sin that could be imagined, the, the Christian has help on the inside now. They're indwelled by the spirit of God and, and, and he acts as that spiritual buffer He strengthens the child of God to help him in his fight against sin. He empowers us and enables us to say no to the flesh. That's why we're said to be different. That's why the Bible said that we've been changed, where before we didn't have any desire to say no to those things. Now that change has taken place, and now God's given us a desire to say no to the flesh, and a desire to say no to Satan, and a desire to say no to the world. And even though sometimes we fail in saying no to those temptations, at least that desire is there, and at least our hearts have been changed by Jesus Christ. The flesh still desires the things of the world, but the new man, the spiritual man, desires things that he was dead to before salvation. We were dead, and our only desire was things that pertained to the realm of our deadness. We find that in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1. And you hath he quickened. That word quickened means made alive. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, our lifestyles in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But then we're saved. And we came to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, and we were made alive by Christ. And he continues on in verse number four. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now there's a desire within us to walk with God. Now there's a desire within us for the things of God. The Bible, the church, his worship, his glory, and much, much more because of the delight of our souls when we're saved. We're different now and it shows. That's why I say somebody that really comes to know Jesus Christ as their Savior ought to show a change in their life. We're not saved by our works, but your works ought to change when you get saved. You cannot meet Jesus Christ and stay like you were before you came. He changes every life that He touches. So if you have the testimony of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ has changed your life, you're not crazy, you're saved. If you can't go where you used to go, do what you used to do, be who you used to be, talk like you used to talk, walk like you used to walk, live like you used to live, then you're not crazy, you're saved. But that's what the Holy Spirit does inside of us And when you encounter that old crowd and they think you've lost your mind. Remember, you're not crazy, you're saved and it changes who you are. When you find yourself being ridiculed because you won't do the things that the lost around you do, you're not crazy, you're saved. And that ought to change the things that you do. When no one seems to understand you and the stand that you take for God, and and, and when they tell you that you're missing out, you're not crazy, my friend, you're saved. And it ought to be different in our lives. Festus and the others that Paul preached to thought he was crazy because his teaching sounded crazy. His testimony sounded crazy. And lastly, back in Acts chapter 26, his task sounded crazy. Verse number 16, we've already read. But Paul gets up and he says, God gave me a job to do. Jesus Christ, when He changed my life, gave me a job to do. Verse 17, delivering Thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send Thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in Me. See, the change in Paul's life was so real, and the calling he had received was so compelling that he could not help but tell others about Jesus and what Jesus Christ had done in his life. As crazy as what Paul said he had been called to do may have sounded crazier still is the fact that he was doing it. And that's what they looked at and said, how can you do this with your life? Why would you do this with your life? You've been beaten, you've been whipped, you've been stoned, you've been tortured, you've been put in jail. You've had all of these things happen and yet you continue to preach the message of Jesus Christ. Why? Paul says, I can't help it. My life has been changed, and I've seen that change in my life. And I've got to tell other people about what He's done for me. He couldn't help but tell them what Jesus Christ could do for them too. First Corinthians chapter nine and verse number sixteen says this: For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Now Paul was called to get up and preach in a ch- in church service, but preach means just to proclaim. And, and and that's a call that every single one of us have been given. Our job and our responsibility is to proclaim the message of the gospel. And Paul says, Woe is unto me if I don't do that. What a shame to me if I don't do that. John Phillips, a, a commentator, said it this way: Paul was a conscript. He had been arrested on the Damascus Road. He had been given a vision of the man in the glory. He had been sent forth as the bond slave of the ascended Lord to evangelize the great Gentile world. He had a driving force in his soul, a vision of the Lord from heaven, a realization that he dare not trifle with his call. Did you know the same call that rested upon Paul's shoulders has been placed upon ours as well? Turn over to Mark chapter 16. The Bible is very clear that we're supposed to tell the world what Jesus has done for us and what he can do for them if they will only believe. We have the call in Matthew chapter 28. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. But he says in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What a responsibility. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea. And in Samaria and in the uttermost part of the earth, when you feel compelled to tell someone about a crucified, risen, returning, reigning Lord named Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean you're crazy. It simply proves that you're saved. If you know him, you can't help but tell others about him. Sharing the gospel is as natural to a Christian and to a child of God as breathing. When you turn your back on the world and live for Jesus Christ and then tell the world about Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that you're crazy. It just shows everybody that you're saved and that you know you're saved and you want everybody else to be saved as well. Listen, when we turn our back on the world, we're turning our back on a whole lot of things that we could enjoy, at least temporarily, right? Like like what he said, what, what Moses said in Hebrews chapter 11, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. That season will end. And that ple- there is pleasure in sin. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that there's not. There is pleasure in some of those things. And there is enjoyment in some of those things. But that pleasure and that enjoyment does not last. And when that season comes to a close, most of the time in this life, that season comes to a close. And those who have been wallowing in that sin find themselves destitute and empty and broken. And when you turn your back on all of that, and you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, why would you you wallow in that mediocrity? Why would you keep dipping your toes back into the world who doesn't want you? And why would you just not live full out for Jesus Christ? Boy, he's the one that rescued you. He's the one that saved you. He's the one that gave you hope. He's the one that's building a home in heaven. He's the one that blesses us. He's the one that gives us everything that we have. He's the one that makes life truly enjoyable. Why not give everything that we have to Him? Boy, we have so many Christians who are just happy to to be saved and know that they're going to heaven. And I'm so glad that Jesus did that for me, but I still want the world. I still want everything that it has to offer. I can't give those things up. The world gave you nothing, the world kept you in darkness, the world kept you in bondage. Satan was your father, and He has no interest in your best interest. And yet, when you came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and he changed your world and he turned your life around and he gave you a hope and he gave you a future, why would you not just turn your life toward him and live for him with all of your life? He gave everything for me. Is it not such a hard thing for him to ask me to give my life to him? And yet we have so many areas in our life where we say, God, you can have that, not this. You can have that, not this. You can have that, not this. I still want that part of the world. He says in Galatians, how can you turn back to the weak and beggarly elements wherein ye desire to be in bondage? I was a slave to sin. I didn't have the freedom to do what I want to do, to do what I do now in Jesus Christ. I was a slave to all of those things, and Jesus Christ came and broke that prison door open and set me free from those chains, and he set me on a course of living a life of peace and joy and happiness and an eternity with all of those things at the end of all of that, and yet I'd say, I, I kind of like some of the things about that prison cell. You know, it was, yeah, it was dark and damp, and I couldn't go where I wanted to go, and I had to eat that nasty food that they gave me, and... But, but it was, it was comfortable. Uh, you know, I mean, it wasn't the bed that I have now, but, but, but at least it was a place to sleep. Why would anybody go back to that? Why would you go back there and say, oh, man, this is five years ago I used to be here. Can you just put me back in this prison cell for a while? Put me in those chains for a little bit. I just I love the feeling of those chains on my wrist. I love the feeling of that bondage and not being able to go where I want to go. Can, can I just stay here for, for, a, for a few weeks? Would that be okay? why would you return unto the weak and beggarly elements whereunto you desire to be in bondage? It's a rhetorical question because for a Christian who is saved and knows what life is like in Jesus Christ, why would you ever want to go back to that? In that kangaroo court that day, all the roles were reversed. The only sane man in the room was in chains while the nuts were running the show. Craziest people in the world today. Places are not in places like mental institutions. The craziest people in the world today are those who are lost in sin and who refuse to turn to Jesus Christ as their only hope for salvation. Uh, the craziest people are those who won't turn to him. If you die and spend an eternity in hell, you die and go to hell with your sins paid for. Jesus Christ already did everything that needs to be done you don't have to do anything else. You don't have to go die on a cross. You don't have to go spend time in a jail cell. You don't have to do any of those things. Jesus Christ has already paid the debt for your sins when he died on the cross. The crowd that doesn't know Jesus Christ, though they might look at us like we're crazy, they're the crazy ones. They're the ones running here and there looking for love and looking for help and looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places. We're the ones who have found the answer to all of life's questions and the solution to all of life's problems. And that answer, that solution, is Jesus Christ. It doesn't make me better than them. It just means that I'm a saved sinner. And I'm just trying to tell other people where they can find Jesus Christ. Somebody said it like this before. It's just one beggar trying to tell another beggar where to find bread. It doesn't mean that I'm any better. But I know where the bread is, and I found the bread, and my job is to go tell all the rest of them where they can find it too. I've seen videos of of um, people that uh, in YouTube things and you know different people that are that do this for a living essentially and make money off of it. But they go around to different places and they'll give money to some of these homeless people and they'll just you know they do it in different ways. But they pretend, oh hey you know, uh, can I give you a, a dollar or something? And oh yeah sure, and they'll give them five hundred dollars. And I, I saw this happen. This this guy walked by and did, did that for one of these homeless guys he put $500 in his cup and he walked away and they were videoing it obviously from a distance and this, this homeless man reached into that cup and he pulled out he saw that $500 in there he couldn't believe it he started looking around and the guy was gone he you know but, but you see him get up and he packs all of his things together and he walks down this, to, the, to the corner and there's a Walgreens there he goes into the Walgreens and he buys a sleeping bag and he buys a, a pack of socks with you know six or eight pairs in there and buys a bunch of other things. And the camera, the, he doesn't know that the camera's following him, but they're just watching him to see what he's going to do. And he walks down to the place in this homeless camp and he lays the sleeping bag down at one of the tents for one of those homeless people that didn't have a sleeping bag. And he broke open that pack of socks and he started handing out socks to the other people that were there in, the, in that homeless camp. And to a couple of them, he gave a $100 bill. And, they, you know, the people that were following him just were shocked at what this guy had done with that money. And they, they tracked him down again and gave him a whole lot more. But that, isn't that exactly what it is about uh, the, the same way that it is with salvation? Boy, I, I didn't deserve that. It doesn't make me any better. I'm, I'm still living in this world. I'm still just a human. I'm, I'm still just like everybody else. I'm still prone to sin. I'm still prone to all those other things that they're prone to. But I found hope. I found life. Why would I not share that with others? Why would I not try to give them that same hope and that same life that I have? May we who are saved never be ashamed of who we are or what the Lord has done for us. We're not crazy. If you believe the gospel and trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you're headed to heaven. You're saved by grace. Your sins have all been washed away. You're not crazy. You're just saved. Are you thankful for your salvation this morning? If you need to praise God again, right? Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Isn't that what David said? Are you saved today? If not, you can be if you'll come to Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10 and verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Don't put it off. Don't wait until it's too late. Can't fix the problem after you've died. You have to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior today. You might think I'm crazy for living my life the way that I do. You might think I'm crazy for living, giving up the the world for the life that Jesus Christ has given me. You, You might think I'm crazy for pleading with you to come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. I have to tell you this morning, I'm not crazy. I'm saved. And I want you to know Jesus Christ as your Savior as well. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for saving me. God, I thank you for each of those in this room that you've saved already. God, I know this. You want every single person in this room. You want every single person in this community. You want every single person in this world to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, as we're told in the word of God. And I pray If there is anybody in this room this morning that still has not bowed their knee at the cross of Jesus Christ and received the gift of eternal life by accepting Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior, I pray that today would be the day that they do that. And I know it matters not if we've been coming for six months or six years or 60 years to the church. Every single one of us must know Jesus Christ as our own personal Savior. And God, I thank you so much for giving us all of this and then heaven besides. I pray that you'd help us to live for you because of it. I pray that you'd help us to have that desire to please you and to live for you because of what you've done for us. If We can live for you because you died for us. What a small exchange it is to ask of each one of us as Christians. I pray that you would, for those that need it, restore unto us the joy of our salvation. Thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, please stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. The invitation is very simple this morning. Perhaps you need to come forward and ask God to restore unto you the joy of your salvation. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then perhaps you need to come down and let somebody take a Bible and share with you how you can be saved. I don't know what the Lord's done in your heart this morning, but I trust that he's done a work and as the piano plays you come invitation is open